be here. Thank you. Morning. How are you doing? Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. How y'all doing this morning? Good. It's a good day, isn't it? Six years. I was thinking about that, and I thought, there's no way it's only been six years. I feel like Grace Meadows has been around for a very long time. So really glad to be here and celebrate with you uh, on this anniversary. And I'd love to just kind of start by affirming that God has done a lot in this church over the past six years. I think sometimes that just needs to be affirmed and reaffirmed that God is at work in this church. And when I think of Grace Meadows, I think of three things above it all. I think of prayer, I think of service, and I think of generosity. And so this morning, before we get started, I just want to say, one, thank you, and two, keep going. Keep being a people marked by prayer. Keep being a people who serve the needs of the community. Keep being a people that give generously to the needs at home in our community and internationally. So thank you for what you're doing. Uh, Hey, we're going to talk about unity today, and this is a sermon I was actually hoping to give a couple of weeks ago, um, but as I was preparing, there was a verse that continued to stick out in my mind over and over. It was from Romans 12. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And it it kept coming up as I was uh, preparing for the sermon, and it didn't quite make sense to me at first because, you know, living at peace with people is not exactly the same as sort of being one with people and being unified with people. So I didn't understand for a while, but it kept coming up, it kept coming up, it kept coming up. And finally, I started to realize that God was convicting my heart that I wasn't living at peace with everybody as far as it was possible with me. Uh, There was two people that God brought to my mind that I just needed to sit down, grab an hour of their time and and have a conversation with. And um, and so that's what I did. And um, I took an hour at breakfast with one and then an hour after lunch with another. And I cannot tell you what those conversations did for my soul. Uh, It brought peace, it brought healing, it brought a strengthened bond, and it brought a lot less cynicism to my heart about the things that we had disagreed on in the first place. And uh, it took me 13 months to get there, and that's a shame. Uh, And I think the blueprint for us moving forward is this idea, Romans 12, 18. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And beyond that, we begin to seek unity. This is the blueprint for us moving forward, because listen, we are living in a culture right now that is extremely divisive, is it not? Right? We're, we're in two camps on almost every issue. You're on this side, you're on this side. In fact, if we disagree with one another, we start deleting out of our lives the people that we disagree with. But I think as Christians, we have a unique opportunity in this culture to say, look, we have all different forms, we have all different kinds of expressions, all different modes of operations, but we are one body. We are one body, the body of Christ. And, and this, was, this idea was so important to Jesus. Jesus took Simon the zealot and Matthew the tax collector, and he put them in the same room, and he said, you guys figure it out. A zealot was somebody who uh, was a part of the Jewish state and was so passionate about the Jewish state that they said they would never bow to the Romans. And yet Matthew was likely harming the Jewish state by partnering with the Romans. And Jesus says, watch this thing I'm going to do. Watch this beautiful act that I'm going to do. I'm going to take 
these two guys who are extremely far apart, and I'm going to bring them together under one roof. And not just that, they're not just going to get along, they're going to be one. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. John 17, Jesus prays this. He, he, he's about to be arrested. This is his final prayer to the Father before he's arrested. And he prays this very simply. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. And not just in any way, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Now just imagine being one with our brothers and sisters in such a countercultural way that it actually resembles oneness between the Father and the Son. Imagine that for a second. Now imagine what kind of shock waves that would send through the culture that is so divisive, but yet we say, you know what, you're, you're different on this, you're different on this, but we are one body. Imagine the shock waves. Imagine the, the news headline that says, the world is totally divided, except, of course, the Christians. They're united just as their Savior prayed they would be. Man. And friends, I believe we can get there. I believe we can get there. I think through obedience, through open-handedness, and through a Holy Spirit intervention, I think we can get there. And, and we're going to spend the rest of our morning talking about how. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Ephesians 4. It'll also be on the screen as well. Uh, we're going to read verses 2 through 16 to set up the rest of our time together. This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. Um, and again, it'll be on the screen, verses 2 through 16. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as, as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. 
So there are many things to take away from this passage, but we're going to focus on three today. Three things that I think will sort of help us uh, towards unity in the faith. And the first one here is simply priority, singular, priority. One top priority, and uh, here's what I mean in this context. We make the main thing the main thing, and we be defined by it. The main thing that we have it uh, in common as Christians is worth so much more than anything that could ever divide us. Think, think about it like this. If, if everybody in this room, we were all terminal together, and we had minutes left, and somebody came along and they healed us from that disease, and then they offered us a power like the world had never seen before, and not only that, but, but he walked alongside of us and helped us grow more fuller and deeper into life, what could possibly define us except for that? And that is our reality. That we're a people who are saved by grace through faith. And that is our story this morning. And I think to some degree, we've had so much success over the years that like we started to be defined by our differences. I mean, the, there's been a, a, a church on every street corner in and we started to say, you know what, like, they believe this thing here, this, you know, kind of small thing, but we believe this thing, and we feel like we have it right, and there's nothing wrong with that, those little theological distinctions, there's nothing wrong with that, but we forget what contributed to the success in the first place. It was never those little theological distinctions, it was the main thing, Jesus, that led to that success. It's the main thing, Jesus, that leads to the life change that we've seen, and we need to get our focus back on there. And when Jesus is our priority, we can begin to champion other people's differences, which then leads to unity. If we're defined by the main thing, we can champion other expressions of the church. We can say things like this. We can say, you know, megachurch, thank God that God has started a big movement in you. Praise God for that. We're with you. Or to the church planning church, we can say, Thank God that you are sending churches out in your uh, community and you're sharing authority with others. We've got your back. We're with you. And to the house church, we can say, what a beautiful expression of the early church that seeks a close-knit community with one another. We've got your back. See, if we have the main thing in common, differences will seem a whole lot smaller. As Christians, if we're defined by the main thing, differences will seem a whole lot smaller. And, and let's just kind of define what we're talking about, the main thing here. This is what we believe as Christians. We believe in the good news of Jesus that he has made a way for us to be in his family. We believe that he came to the earth in human form, fully God and fully man. He died for our sins. He rose again on the third day as he defeated death. And we believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one. And it is by grace through faith that we are saved, and there is one way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if we die to self and we're raised into new life through Jesus, we will be saved. If we have this in common, that we have been raised into new life through Jesus, and consequently we have been adopted into a new family, the family of God, that reality wholly defines us. That reality entirely defines us. Let me slow down for a second. Three things you got to know about me. All right, one, I love 
Christmas time, maybe more than anybody in the world. I start celebrating it way too early. Okay, we got competition, I see. Okay. I love it. I start celebrating way too early. Justin knows. It. I'm glad he doesn't have a mic right now because he'd embarrass me about it big time. But I love Christmas time. Another thing you need to know about me is I'm a huge football fan. Love football season all, all year long. In fact, like off season right now, football. I'm like into it. What's happening? Uh, and the third thing is I love competition. I really enjoy competition. Those three things pretty much sum me up. I'm a pretty simple person. But listen, if there was someone who was exactly like me in all of those ways, but was not a Jesus follower, I'd have much more in common with somebody who was nothing like me, but was a Jesus follower. Jesus entirely defines us. I personally have more in common with a football-despising, non-competitive, doesn't even put his Christmas tree up, follower of Jesus, than I do a Christmas-obsessed, competitive football fanatic who does not love Jesus. That's how much Jesus defines us. If we can focus on the main thing, the thing that unites us, Jesus, and be defined by this commonality, we can begin the process of unity despite differences that may be present. So that's the first one, priority. Make the main thing the main thing and be defined by it. The second part is humility. And what I mean by this in this context is being a student rather than a critic. Simply a student rather than a critic. If we agree on the main thing and we're defined by the main thing, we're free to disagree well on everything else, and we can dialogue and we can learn together uh, without that division. Ephesians 4 tells us that humility is the start of unity. We cannot obtain unity without first having humility. And I believe that Jesus values humility as much as he values anything. You think about the story of Zacchaeus when when he climbs up a tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus, Jesus looks at him in the eyes and, see, and he says, this one, this is the dude I need to have lunch with today. And look, I don't, I don't care how short the dude was. If a grown man is climbing up a tree to go see another man, that's humility. Jesus values humility. In fact, the very nature of Jesus' humility from the very beginning, what he's born into a box where animals eat from. That's a humble circumstance, right? We, we think today of, of the manger as this very beautiful scene, but it's only beautiful because Jesus dwelled there. Jesus is in the habit of taking messy things and redeeming them and turning them into beautiful things. And I think Jesus can take our humility and he can use it to bring unity. Now, having humility does not mean that we must lack conviction, uh, it doesn't mean that we don't try to correct or even rebuke as needed. Uh, Paul, in fact, tells Timothy in, in 2 Timothy that he, that he ought to rebuke his opponents at times, but he says to do so with gentleness. Do so with gentleness. We should not be rigid. We should always assume good faith from the other viewpoint and keep the perspective that the view itself, if it's not the main thing, should not be a defining factor by which we should risk disunity. Let me say that again. That's kind of confusing. We should keep the perspective that the view itself, if it's not the main thing, should not be a defining factor by which we should risk disunity. And besides, there are opinions that I had just two years ago that I look back at and I'm like, dude, you were flatly wrong on that. 
And two years from now, I'm going to say the same thing. And two years from then, prayerfully, as I grow, that I'll say the same thing over and over. I think we should keep the door open that we could be wrong on some of these secondary issues anyway. Philippians 2 essentially defines humility as valuing other people more than self. It seeks to hear perspectives. It seeks to connect and it seeks to to learn. It is not quick to criticize. Humility asks questions of others. Humility asks, what led you to that viewpoint? On the other hand, arrogance says, let me explain my viewpoint. Humility leads to unity while arrogance leads to division. And when it comes to things that are not the main thing, we must keep a level of humility in order to continue being defined by the main thing. So that's the second thing, humility. We have priority, humility, and then the last itty is community. And what I mean by this in this context is that we must always remember that relationships are our best possible investments. Relationships are our best possible investments. We ought to place such an importance and value on our relationships at home, at work, at school, in our community, that we make our decisions based on what happens in those relationships. I always tell people that every decision that you make, you're sacrificing something. With every decision you make, you're sacrificing something. And what we want to sacrifice last is our relationships. Uh, At Youth Villages, I worked as the permanency specialist, and my job was to uh, try to reunite families when possible, and anytime I would have an initial session with a, with a parent and a kid, I would always say, the thing you're going to have to do if this is going to work out, you're going to have to put each other at the very top of your hierarchy. It's going to have to be at the very top. Every decision you make, every time you engage, figure, how am I communicating this? What am I communicating? How is this person receiving it? And then even decisions that don't even seem to uh, sort of translate in the relationship still taking a step back, objectively looking, how does this affect my relationship? And I, I think it's probably no surprise that the ones who really uh, bought into that and valued this idea of making relationships at the top are the ones who had the most success. And y'all, we are a family. As believers, we are a family. We are children of God. We are brothers and sisters. We must place an extremely high value on each other as family and if we keep relationships at the very top and realize that we need each other we need the entire body this gives us the best possible opportunity for unity like tara pointed out wednesday she said the early church had this was so good she said the early church had three things they had the holy spirit they had their story and they had each other and we need each other we need the entire body we don't just need the part of the body that we resonate with most, we need to embrace all of the body and value each function even even as it's different than ours. A body that works together with all of its parts and functions has the best opportunity to grow and thrive. A body that works together with all of its parts and functions has the best opportunity to grow and thrive. As we set our weekly schedules, let's factor in relationships. Who can we invite along with us? Who who can we do life with? We've all got to eat, right? Who can we invite along with us to, to go eat, to share meals? Who can we eat with this week? How can I grow and strengthen my relationships with those around me this week? These are questions we should continuously reevaluate. 
placing such a high value and emphasis on community is going to be pivotal for us to reach unity. So we make the main thing the main thing and be defined by it. We become students rather than critics, and we recognize that relationships are a best possible investment. And if we can do these three things, if we can get our priority, our humility, and our community right, we might see unity as Jesus desired for us. The question I would love for us to sit under this week is, uh, within the body of Christ, who am I not in complete unity with, and what am I going to do about it? Within the body of Christ, who am I not in complete unity with, and what am I going to do about it? See, this is maturity, as Ephesians 4 reads. Seeking unity is par- part of what helps us reach unity and maturity as Christ followers. And I, listen, I don't think unity is part of God's plan. I think unity is God's plan. Unity is God's plan. That as people are different than us and they have different beliefs on secondary things, we say, I value you, even if your belief is different. I value you. I desire unity. Jesus' prayer was that we may be one as the Father and the Son are one. So we're going to enter a time of worship. And as we do, I just want to quickly recall from Ephesians 4, there was something that was mentioned that I just, when I read it, I just thought, this is awesome. It says that Jesus ascended into heaven, bringing captives with him and giving gifts of grace to his people. And and what does that mean except that he descended into the lowest places? So think about your lowest place in your life. Think about the sin habit. Think about the, the pain, the loss, the trauma. That's exactly where Jesus wants to be. He wants to be there with you. He descends into the most humble places so that he can lift you up and bring you into the highest places. Jesus wants to bring you into life. Jesus wants to go to every height, every depth to pursue your heart. He fiercely loves you. And not just some like future version of you where you start to kind of figure some things out and he says, okay, now I'll turn towards you because you're doing better. Like he's not looking at you like you have potential. He loves you right now. He is, in fact, he's all in on you right now. Right where you are, he's all in on you right now. And if you say yes to him, then what he's going to do is he's going to come alongside of you and he's going to guide you and he's going to bring you and he's going to send you into life and life to the full. So during this time of worship, there's going to be a couple elders come down to the front and if you don't know what it looks like to to begin a relationship with Jesus, I encourage you to talk to one of them during this time. And uh, or, Or maybe you're kind of in a situation where you just need somebody to pray with during this time. Maybe, maybe you are experiencing pain. Maybe there are difficult things going on, and you just need to pray with somebody. Now's a great time to do it. Grab one of these elders at the front and just pray with them. They're not going to twist your arm. They're not going to do anything like that. They're just going to pray with you and love you. The altar is also open as well if you just need to take some time before God this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you first and foremost for who you are. We take a step back and we, we say, who are we talking to? We are talking to the God of the universe who, who made everything and yet took the time to look over every detail of our lives and pursue our hearts. That's who we're talking to this morning. Father, help us to be defined by that truth that, 
that you sent your son Jesus, that you love us so much that you withheld nothing, that you put everything on the table to pursue our hearts. And Father, I pray that that you will allow that truth to just penetrate our hearts this morning during this time of worship. Father, if, if there's anybody here who you're, you're tugging on their heart, I pray just for the courage and the conviction just to talk to somebody and take those next steps this morning. Father, above all, we pray for unity. Father, it was your prayer before you were arrested. It was your, your prayer. The people who were about to abandon you, you prayed for them to be one together. Father, I pray that you will just help guide our next steps in seeking unity as the church. We love you a whole lot. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In the pressing, you are making me wise. In the soil, I now surrender. You are breaking new ground. You are breaking.
Hey, just, just one quick announcement. Uh, don't forget, Wednesday night at 6 o'clock dinner, uh, 7 o'clock service. Please join us for that. I'd love to pray for us as we conclude. Father, we thank you, uh, that you that you do want us to be your vessel, that you want to work through us, Father. And we, uh, if we just like sit back and just stare at that reality, we just stand in awe that that's true. So, Father, uh, we pray that you will make new wine out of us. We love you a whole lot. Jesus' name, amen. Y'all have a great week.